Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I would like us to look again at these verses that I thought we looked at a short time ago, but I looked at my the timestamp on my last set of notes, and it was May. So I'm going to do a little bit of review on this whole question of unity and the importance of unity in a local body. What's happening here, especially in verses 1 and 3, is Paul is urging us to get serious about unity. Therefore, I am prisoner of the Lord, implore you, very strong language, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. And then in verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's a sense of urgency here about being serious about unity. And what strikes us is that Paul doesn't call on us to create unity. Christ has already done that. What Paul calls on us us to do is to keep barriers from coming back up in the relationship. And you'll remember some of the context of this exhortation. Look with me back at Ephesians 2. And this is the context of the call to which we've been called. And what does it mean, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? And it says this. It says, in verse, um, starting in verse 11, it says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. There's a lot going on. This is a very, very dense text. There's a lot of very wonderful theology here, and the grammar is very awkward. It can be hard to understand. But the point is not hard to get. What happened is Christ took two groups. In the context here, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. You couldn't get more radically, culturally diverse than these two groups. But what Christ did is he broke down the barriers between these two groups and bound them to himself. And you remember this phrase right here. 
When you become one with Christ, you become one with each other. That's what's important here. Christ has broken down every barrier. It says, He made the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And then he goes on in verse 18, Through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That is the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So when we're talking about unity, and when we talk about this peace, it's not just this subjective feeling, oh, I feel peace with you today. No, it's an objective reality that stands outside of our circumstances that you are one in Christ. And what what Paul is saying, Christ has objectively torn down every barrier between you and every other believer. And what Christ has torn down, heaven forbid, we put back up. No barriers in relationships between believers. Listen to a few verses on this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. And he says, And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between... Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. He's torn down the barriers. Galatians 3, for all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. One more. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Very, very clear message here. When you became one with Christ, you also became one with each other. And what is so important about this is that God's plan is to use that unity as a centerpiece to show His glory. So unity in the Christian life is not like, you know, chapter 13 of, uh, you know, important things in the Christian life. It's way up towards the top. And that's why Christ plays in John 17. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, His immediate disciples. He's saying, I'm not just praying about them. He says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Unity is essential. And that's exactly what we see in Acts. Let me read you a few verses. Acts 1.14 He's talking about the early church, and you know what a mess they were, but they did have something very important. They were a mess just like us. I'm not picking on them. Sometimes we glorify the early church. Like, let's go back to the early church. It's like, do you have you read 1 Corinthians 5? Like what they were doing? Like maybe let's learn from them and go on. 
Acts 1.14, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. What a statement. What a radical statement. Acts 1, 46 through 47, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Acts 4, 32, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. That is beautiful. And we forget how radical that is. Because what sin does is sin separates you and isolates you. What happens when sin comes in? One of the first things that happens is a brother kills a brother. What happens when Jesus comes in? He makes you brothers in Christ, brother and sister in Christ, and gives you one mind. One mind. This is what God is doing. What does all this mean? This means... That relationships are essential to Christianity. They're essential. Relationships in the body of Christ are essential to Christianity. And we need our mind renewed in this because we tend to be very individualistic in the West. If you don't know where the West is, it's where we live. There's a lot of other places, but just know that you're in the West. And one thing that you need to know about being in the West is that you are influenced by a culture. You're not going to get around it. It's going to happen. You're going to be influenced by the culture that you live in and that you grew up in. And one main, main characteristic about the West is we're very individualistic. And so when we come into Christianity, we tend to elevate elevate things like personal spiritual disciplines. Obviously, that's important. We tend to emphasize things like personal evangelism, my own personal ministry. And when we gauge our spiritual life, we ask how, or when we gauge how things are going, we ask, how am I doing spiritually? See, we tend to elevate things that relate to us as an individual. These things are very important, and they cannot be overstated. If you are not walking with God and praying and in the Word on a daily basis, having your minds renewed, you are not going to be worth much as a Christian. And that's pretty obvious. It's like a baby. You don't give food. And everybody's sitting around wondering, why is the baby, what's wrong with the baby? Why does the baby appear to be sick? Maybe we should take the baby to the doctor. Maybe we should take the baby to a seminar about how to grow and do all these things. It's like, well, why don't you just give the kid some food? It's not rocket science. Neither is it in the Christian life. If you are not praying, if you're not in the Word having your mind renewed and in touch with God in a living way, you are not going to thrive in the Christian life. No ifs, ands, or buts. No getting around it. But in the West, we tend to think only in those categories. And the Bible is radically different. We don't belong to the kingdom of the West. We belong to the kingdom of Christ. And in the kingdom of Christ, relationships and our relationships in the body of Christ are very, very important. So important that God is dis- that is what God is displaying his glory through is our relationships in this church and with other Christians. We need to be diligent to keep barriers down and keep our relationships warm with Christ-like affection, clear air between you and every believers, and warm hearts. Warm hearts. 
So today I want to go on and look at a couple of ways that we can fight to keep clear air and warm hearts. Clear air and warm hearts. Paul lays down in verse 2 some principles for interacting with one another that will help us to fight for these relationships. This is what he says. He's talking about being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and walking worthy of the calling which we've been called. And right in the middle of that, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another and love. These first two words, humility and gentleness, these send a very clear message that there is no room for self-centeredness in the body of Christ. That is so obvious, but don't you need your mind renewed in that often? I know that I do. I often need my mind renewed in this. Being like Jesus means at a very basic level, you lay down your life for others. That does away with any room for selfishness. He says, in, Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, with humility, there's our word, of mind, regard others as more important than yourselves. Let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. And the result of being delivered from the self-centered life is that you are gentle or meek. And that you, we have the word, the um, NASB translates it gentleness. Uh, the ESV may translate it meekness. It's the same idea. The result of being delivered from self-centered is that you aren't pushy or abrasive. Meekness or gentleness can often, be, it's, can often be hard to describe, but it's never hard to notice. It's never hard to notice. You know when you're dealing with someone who's meek and gentle, and you know when you're dealing with someone who's not meek and gentle, and you often have enough self-perception to know when you're being meek and gentle and when you're not. We all know what that looks like. This idea of meekness and gentleness means that you're the kind of person that broken people are not afraid to approach. If you find that you have an approachability problem, that people aren't comfortable being around you, you need to ask God, God, would you show me if I'm truly being meek and gentle? Am I the kind of person that broken people feel safe around? Because that's the kind of person that Jesus was. It says in Matthew 11, it says this, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, broken, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why would you ever do this? What is it about Jesus that would, that would take down all of your guards? For I am gentle and humble in heart. It's amazing. It's amazing. Christ was gentle and humble in heart. We have a good picture of what this looks like um, in 2 Timothy 2. Paul's expounding what it means to be an elder, but the, the principles apply to all of us. He says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. It's like, I've got the truth. I'm going to backhand that sucker. Like, why? I don't, all I need is the truth. And I'm going, to take, I'm going to take a cannon. I'm going to level him. And I get to go and I notch it off my belt. I stood for truth. Paul's saying, if you're going to do that, don't be an elder. 
And I would say, if you're going to do that, don't even claim to be a Christian. But it's so much more granular than that. It's so much more real and earthy and everyday than your need to stand. And there is a time, and God help me to do it, when it is the time when you speak very firm and very sharp and very clear about the truth. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is something so much harder than speaking clear and firm about the truth. We're talking about a soul, a disposition of meekness and gentleness. Is that you? Are you, are you abrasive in your relationship? When you're dealing with other people, does it occur to you? Do you ever think about, I wonder what they're going through, and I wonder how what I'm about to do is going to come across for them? to them. People are complicated. Even Christians are complicated. We come into the Christian life and we still live in this flesh. And like it or not, we come a lot of times with baggage that Christ is going to deal with, but he hasn't dealt with us yet. And so it becomes impossible to have these canned answers to everybody's problems. It's like, I've dealt with this before. I've seen somebody who's struggling with depression. I know exactly how to deal with that. And you just ship what you said to the last person over to this person. Canned answers. It's not that easy. People are complex. And so what am I saying? Am I saying that it's impossible except for an elite group of people to ever give counsel? No. Paul says in Romans 15, he says, I am convinced concerning you that you're able to do all kinds of stuff for other Christians. You're able to exhort. You're able to do every Christian has the capacity and the ability to help any and every other Christian. That's profound. But what am I saying? I'm saying that when we think, when we're dealing with people, you need to put thought into it. Be the kind of person that is meek and gentle. Christ kingdom does not go forth by us just having our own agenda and seeing if everybody else can get on board with the great things that God is doing in our life. That is not the kingdom. Humility of mind, gentleness, meekness. That's the first thing that he, com- that he brings out. Secondly, with patience, showing tolerance or bearing with one another. Patience is the idea, one person defined it as slowness slowness to retaliate or avenge wrong. This word for tolerance, or as the ESV translates it, bearing with one another, is the idea, the word literally means to brace yourself against a thing. And for a long time, I would just be honest, I had such a problem with this verse. It's like, Lord, can we not shoot higher than tolerating one another? Like, really? Like, that's what my parents told me to do with my sisters. Like, you know, you need to tolerate them. But I love the Bible for this, don't you? Because this is a, such, it's a trenches word. It's a word that acknowledges that when you're in the same church for month after month and year after year, 30, 40 years, there's going to be a lot of things that build up. There's going to be a lot of things that happen, and let's not act all super spiritual, that we are never affected by personality quirks. Like, I'm living on such a high plane that his voice or her voice or the way that he does this or the way that she does that 
or what she said to me 30 years ago, or what he did to me last week, or he didn't notice me, or they're doing this, those never affect me. Like, I'm just like up here on cloud nine. Well, I would like to shake your hand if that's you. You're about to get translated into glory. But for the rest of us, we need words like bearing with one another. What does that mean? That means that there are going to be times in the Christian life more often than we would like to admit when the devil tries to take something else about somebody that's unredeemed and he tries to use that to divide us. And what Paul is saying is you are going to have to brace yourself up against this. Brace yourself for unity. It's worth fighting for. And that's what's so amazing about the kingdom of God. The world is fighting to get ahead of one another. In the kingdom of God, we're fighting to stay side by side. That's life in Christ. You brace yourself up against things that would bring barriers back where Christ has torn them down with patience, showing tolerance for one another. One commentator says this, about this idea of showing tolerance or bearing with another, he said it is not a question of maintaining a facade of courtesy while inwardly seething with resentment, right? Oh, yeah, you, see, you know that, you know the face, the, the facade you put on a show. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. And inside, your heart's beating at 190 beats per minute and you're about to explode. You're not pretending like we're unified, We actually are. It is not a facade of courtesy while inwardly seething with resentment, but it is a spirit-empowered, positive love towards those who irritate, disturb, or embarrass you. Bearing with one another. I love that the Bible does this. Such a trenches word. It so acknowledges that we still live in a very fallen world. And although at the center of our being, we've been made like Jesus, there is going to be a lot of stuff constantly in our relationships the devil is going to try and use to put a barrier back up. And Paul is saying, brace yourself. Brace yourself. Fight for this. The glory of Christ is staked on it. Don't you realize that this is the big thing that God is doing in the universe? He's taking Jew and Gentile and slave and free and black and white and rich and poor and people from all different races and backgrounds and culture and personalities and he's making them one in Jesus. And in Ephesians, earlier on, he says he is using this to display to all of the rulers of all the universe. And this is not just some merely earthly king. These are all the rulers, all the powers that be. His glory through the unity of, of the church. So brace yourselves. Don't sacrifice his glory on the altar of the fact that somebody did something 20 years ago. Or their personality grates you the wrong way. There's more important things at stake here than our own agenda and our own ideas of what needs to be done. What is the message here? There's a lot in this section. It could be expounded a lot more. But the message of verse 2 is this. Be easy to get along with, but hard to offend. That's the message. Be easy to get along with, but hard to offend. 
be easy to get along with, be humble of mind, be gentle of heart, don't be abrasive, don't be pushy. And I'll say this right now, if when I said that, somebody else came to mind, then it's your heart that needs to be dealt with. Like when I'm talking about people and describing these characteristics, if you're like, oh man, so-and-so, he just nailed you. It's your heart that needs to be dealt with. Because the first thing that needs to happen in this is you get delivered from the self-life. And that's still a part of the self-life. Be easy to get along with. Be hard to offend. Brace yourself against the desire to let your relationships cool when things come up, when the barriers start to try and be reintroduced. So that's the message of verse 2. That's the first way that we can fight to keep every relationship warm, to keep every relationship right. Be easy to get along with, but hard to offend. Paul goes on in verses 4 through 6. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were also called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. There is a lot here in this passage. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached eight messages on those verses. Eight messages. I am not going to be able to do that. They are wonderful messages. And they're, they're, this needs to be expounded sometime because it is so rich by someone much more capable than I. But when I read through these verses, I find two major things that stand out on how we can fight to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's two principles that kind of come up here. Here's the first one. When Paul thinks about unity, his mind is overtaken by who God is and what he's done. Notice that every person in the Trinity is in this list. That's pretty amazing. It is the Spirit who energizes the body of Christ and testifies to our hope. You have Christ Jesus the Lord who is the content of our faith and in whose name we are baptized. Like it says in Acts 2, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And finally you have God who stands over all in uncontested sovereignty. So when Paul thinks about unity, his mind is taken up with the great things of who God is and what he's done. That's important. Put that as a stake in the ground. We'll talk about it in a second. The second thing that comes up in this passage is oneness. If you don't get that, I can't help you. Oneness. Do you hear what he's saying? One body, the church. You are a part of the same body as the person sitting next to you. If you're a Christian, they're a Christian. One spirit, the same spirit that convicted you and brought you to Jesus, is the same spirit that convicted George Whitfield and brought him to Jesus. The same spirit that can help you have the right kind of relationship that you need with your wife is the same spirit that helped George Mueller believe God for thousands of orphans. We all share a common experience of the same spirit. One hope of your calling. We all have one hope of our calling. We're all travelers to the same destination. One Lord. We all have the same master. One faith. 
We all share the same belief, the same conviction, the heartfelt conviction that can't be shaped. You're the only group of people, when I say you, I'm talking about the church in general, all over the world, that shares the conviction that the only way to get to heaven is by the blood of Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. One baptism, like we read in Galatians, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself in Christ. What is baptism? We baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a naming ceremony. You all share the same identity. When you went into the water symbolizing what God had done in your life, you were symbolizing the fact that I have taken on a new family and a new name. I belong to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And every one of you that are in Christ also share that same identity. We all have the same Heavenly Father. One God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. What's he trying to get across? We all live under the sovereign rule of the same Father. Do you hear it? One, 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 all, 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 one, one, one. What is he trying to get across? He's trying to get across the idea of our oneness in Christ. So how do these two things help us to keep our relationships warm and right? How do, does this first kind of principle, Paul, when he thinks about unity, he, has, he thinks about great thoughts of God, who he is and what he's done, and also this other thing of our oneness, how do they help us fight this? Here's how I understand this. The first thing, great thoughts of God and of, um, of who he is and what he's done. High thoughts of God leave no room for low thoughts of people. High thoughts of God leave no room for low thoughts of people. And isn't this so true? Don't you see this in your own life where you're encouraged in the Lord and when your mind is taken up with the great things of God, who He has revealed Himself to be, what He has done in Jesus Christ, that your sins have been taken away and that there is no force in heaven and on earth that can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. When that just overtakes your heart, don't you find that it's much, much easier to let little offenses go. It's much easier. You, most of the time, you don't even think about them. When you are consumed with God, when your mind is full of God, when you're constantly renewing your mind in this book, it's essential. When your mind is full of God, you are not going to have the capacity to remember all the things that have happened over the years that annoy you about everyone else. These little barriers that want to try and come up, when you're not full of high thoughts of God, when your mind is just kind of down here in this earthly scene and you're not renewing your, uh, renewing your mind, everything is a big deal. So-and-so didn't talk to me last week. These guys are doing things this way. The way that she handles this just grates on my personality. It's all going to come at you, and you're pretty much defenseless because you don't have anything unless you're renewing your mind. But if your mind is full of God, if you are so just enthralled with the gospel and the glory of God, you are not really going to have time to even deal with those things because what's going to happen when you are just so saturated that God himself unrobed 
The second person of the Trinity unrobed himself, came as a baby, and died under the wrath of God for me? I can forget about what happened 20 years ago. I can forget about it. I can forget about the way that she handles this. Is it a problem with her? Is it a problem with me? Who cares? God will sort it out. It's not important. Or I should say it this way. It is not worth sacrificing a relationship that God has pinned his glory on. It's not worth it. High thoughts of God leave no room for low thoughts of people. What I'm not saying is that there is not a time, there is a time to confront people. Often, there is a time to confront people. He goes on, speaking truth to one another in love. (laughs) Oh, we have to have hard conversations. They are so awkward. But we love each other. There is a time to do that. There is a time to rail against sin. Oh, there's often a time to rail against sin. There is a time to rail against unbelief in God. We, man... Our tongues need to be swords sometime. But what I'm saying is this, is you're not going to have the perspective when it's the right time to do that or the wrong time to do that if your mind is not saturated with the great things of God. If it's not, you're just going to pull your sword out all the time and you'll be so proud of yourself for standing for truth and you'll be so high and righteous because you don't have the same personality quirks as that person does. And God is not pleased with that. He's more concerned about the barriers in that relationship because when you became one with Jesus, you also became one with that person. And if you're going to heaven, if you want to go to heaven, there can't be barriers. There cannot be unforgiveness. High thoughts of God leave no room for low thoughts of people. What are the second thing? What's the second thing here? And this this is what we'll close with. When you think of believers, think of your oneness. Now, that's basic, but that's important because what tends to happen in relationships, husband and wives, children to parents, relationships, especially in the body of Christ, that if you go to the same church long enough and you even have a remote amount of fellowship in that church, stuff is going to happen just by interacting with each other. And what tends to happen is the past, those personality quirks, or some way that someone has legitimately actually wronged you, When you think of that person, you think of the offense. When I meet this person, when I see this person, something kind of is subconscious, but it kind of wells up within you that when you see that person, you think of the offense. When you hear their name, you think of the offense. When you deal with them, you think of the offense. But here, Paul has a better way. He is saying, let your first thought when you see see a Christian be thoughts of your oneness with them. When I see another Christian, especially those that something may be trying to come between us, the first thought I need to have is we have one Lord. I have the same master as that person. I have one hope. I have one hope. There's a lot of stuff going on here, but I know this. We're headed in the same direction. And the spirit who's trying to help me through this is also the same spirit that is trying to help them through this. You think of your oneness. Do not let relationships, do not let there be between you and another believer anything but your oneness that defines that relationship. Like I said, there there are times, oh, there are so many times when you go to another Christian, you put your arm around them and you say, brother, I have to talk to you about what you're doing. And you talk and you clear the air. 
but what the apostle is talking about here. He's talking about a mindset. When I think of other people, do I define them and do I read them through the grid of what has happened in the past? Or do I read them through a grid much further back in the past that happened at the cross? Because when I became one with Jesus, I also became one with them. High thoughts of God leave no room for low thoughts of people. And when you think of other believers, you need to think of them. Let your reaction, your instinct, be to think of them in terms of the things that make you one, not the things that make you different. Relationships are essential in the body of Christ. This is not, this is not something we can take lightly and call ourselves a church. Like I said, in the West, we tend to elevate things like personal spiritual disciplines, personal evangelism, my personal ministry. How am I doing spiritually? These are all essential questions, and you've heard me preach hopefully enough to know that I'm not downplaying those things. Those things are critical, but they're not the only thing. Of equal importance is, is this question right here, and Mac asked this years ago but I've never forgotten it because it helped me. Is every relationship with you and every other believer warm? And is every relationship with you and every other believer right? Let's pray. God, help us to prioritize what you prioritize. And Lord, we need your spirit. Would you move among us and help us, Lord? Would you help us to let go of things that need to be let go of? Would you help us to be brave enough to have conversations that need to be had? And we pray that in all things, we would be a people that glorify you. Amen.